I want to invite you to turn in James chapter 2 in your Bible this morning. We finally made it out of James chapter 1. We've been studying through the book of James and for really the better part of two months have been in James chapter 1, but this morning we get into James chapter 2. You may or may not notice, I'm very aware of the fact that my voice is not real strong this morning. I'm on the back end of a cold, and, uh, and so if you hear that, then just bear with me. A, a lot of you know, if you were at our, at our Ash Wednesday service, that I gave up coffee for Lent, which may not seem like a big deal to you, but that's a struggle for me because I, I, I like it. So if you see me reach for my cup down here this morning, it's not coffee. I'm not that amped up on, you know, on, on my Sabbath day here that I've just got to have it. I, I'm just trying to uh, nurse my voice along this morning as we look at this passage. James chapter 2, I want to read the first nine verses for us, and then we'll jump right into our study this morning. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes, also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are con. You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we want to study this passage this morning, and in particular, what this teaches us about favoritism. Now, it says plainly in verse 9 that if you show partiality, you are committing sin. So we ought to understand this simple truth up front this morning, that showing partiality is is a sin. Now, as we, as we go through this this morning, I'm going to use the word favoritism in place of the word partiality in, in a lot of our conversation around this text. The word that is used in, in this particular passage, uh, it's used in verse 1 and then again in verse 9, and it's translated to show partiality or even the meaning partiality. That same Greek word can be translated to mean favoritism. In fact, if you're looking at a New American Standard, if you're looking at a New International or one of many other English translations, it's very likely that your translation of this text uses the word favoritism even in place of this, this particular rendering which, which uses the word partiality here. Because the meaning of the word is, is just simply that, to show, to be partial to someone, to show favoritism towards someone. In fact, the literal translation of that Greek word to show partiality literally means to lift one's face. That's literally what, that, what the Greek word means, to lift one's face. And so the idea is if you choose one as a, a favorite over another or show partiality to one over a, another. And so 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word favoritism because I feel like it, it holds a little more meaning for us, a, a little more understanding or even substance in the way that we, that we would understand this, this morning. And, and so I want us to see that favoritism in this sense that it is being laid out here is sin. And as such, we ought to understand how, okay, how then should we live our lives in such a way that we would not show favoritism, especially in the practice of the church. Because the example that James gives is an example of the assembly of, of the body here. Now, it's not exactly sure whether this is talking about a, a worship gathering when it talks about if, if you're gathered and if someone who is poor comes in and, and you see the person with the fine clothes and the person who doesn't have as nice of clothes and you say to the person with the nice clothes, here, you have the seat of honor and to the other person, here, you sit in the, on the floor or, or you stand in, in the back. The, the clear... The clear practice here is of some kind of favoritism that is on the basis of what someone has, or at least certainly what they appear to have, and if we're showing favoritism in that sense. And so in the life of the church, we ought not to show favoritism on these, on these outward appearances and, and things. We ought not to draw those, those lines of distinction between the haves and the have-nots in that way. And so I want us to look at that as we dig into this text this morning. So what is favoritism? Now, I also want, I want to be clear about this, okay? When we talk about showing favoritism, and, and especially in this sense that favoritism is sin, I want us to be clear that there's a, different, a difference between having a close relationship with people and, and showing favoritism. There's a, there's a distinction, right? There's a difference between the people in your life that you are close to and that you, and that you naturally, you just know them well or you, that you have a closer personal relationship with them and showing outward favoritism. So to have, to have friends and, and people that you are closer to and, to and to share life with those people on a deeper level than you share life with just everyone else is not a sin, right? And, and so oftentimes, we'll use the word cliques, right? We'll talk about, oh, there, there are these cliques, there are these groups that we run in. And, and can I be honest with you? Cliques are just a natural part of life in the sense that we all have our people, right? We have our group, our people that we fit in with. To have people that you're close to, to fit into some kind of a, a clique, if I can use that word, to have that, that group of people that you just naturally fall in with and that you get along with and, and you have a deep relationship, the Bible is not calling that sin. In the life of a church, it's not wrong for there to be people that you're close to. The issue arises when we begin to treat certain people in a better way than we would treat others on the basis of, specifically of, on the basis of maybe the, you know, the appearance of money or whether they have or have not, whether they're educated, these different lines where we sort of where we divide ourselves. And so I want us to dig in and ask this question first. What is favoritism? What, is it, what does it look like you know, in the world around us, in the culture around us? Oftentimes we see favoritism along a few standard lines that show up again and again. Think of, think of favoritism along the lines of race. Uh, favoritism along the, the lines of, of race is in, in the culture all around us. And oftentimes it shows up in, it shows up in privilege, right? That's a word that gets used a lot in these race conversations. Access to resources or, or privilege is the word that is, that is often, often tossed around. And you know, it's interesting that those who have, those that have the privilege, 
oftentimes don't think of themselves as being privileged, and those who don't are very aware of the privilege that others live with. And can I say that as we begin to dig into this this morning, I am aware that I am preaching this message to a First Baptist church. And in a lot of ways, First Baptist Chickasha, we look like what you might think of even as the standard First Baptist church. And so for the most part, for the most part, I'm preaching to a room of the haves this morning, okay? And can I tell you, I'm aware of that. Now, as we go through this text, I, I, I honestly think that we need, to, we need to try to do our very best to listen to what the text is saying to us and really understand the meaning behind this text this morning so that we would not dismiss this and automatically assume that this is talking to someone else. Now, there are a few, if any, one percenters in the room this morning, okay? I, I know that as well. We, we are, this is Chickasha, Oklahoma. We are, we are working class people. Uh, even those that might have a, a lot more money than others have it because of hard work and, and a strong work ethic, and, and God has blessed you, blessed your business, blessed your family. Uh, so I understand that as well. But I, I want to be clear when I, when I preach this this morning and as we dig into this, that I am doing so with the full awareness that in some ways this text ought to step on our toes a little bit this morning. So if there's any part of you that automatically feels like, I, I don't like this, then that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning, trying to use this text to step on our toes, so to speak. And, and the honest truth is, if the Bible never offends you, and if the Word of God never steps on your toes, then you're not reading it right, because it's intended to offend us. It's intended to, to mess with our, our sensibilities in the sense. It's intended to make us uncomfortable, so that our lives might be conformed to the image of Christ, and not be driven by the, the worldview of the culture around us. When we look in the culture around us, it's really easy to see these lines that are drawn, particularly around race and income, access to privilege. We see it most especially in something like a, a political election. Right now we are, of course, mired in the midst of politics as a culture. This coming week there is, you know, there's a, a, an important election. And, and can I just say... I want to strongly encourage everyone in this room who is of voting age to get out and vote this week. It is so important that you exercise that, that right that you have in this country to use your voice. And can I also challenge you that you would vote not along the lines of, of a party, but that you would vote along the lines of a, a Christ-centered worldview and on the long, along the lines of conscience. That you, wouldn't, that you wouldn't just toe a party line, but instead you would pray about and search the scriptures or what they say and that you would make a, a decision based on that. I understand that it's difficult oftentimes because we look at the candidates that are presented and we think none of these really fit what, exactly what I wish they would fit according to what God's word says and that sort of thing. And, and, and I completely relate even in my own frustrations and my own feelings about things. But we ought to do our best to make decisions on a, on a Christ-centered worldview, on a Christian worldview, and not just based on a party line or, or, or the culture of the world around us. But particularly in elections, we see these lines of, these lines of race and these, and these lines of money and privilege. One of my great frustrations with our political system is it seems like it doesn't matter which party you belong to, and it doesn't matter which candidate you're talking about. Essentially, elections are bought. 
Because it's whoever has the most money, whoever can do the best job of uh, you know, putting out commercials and raising funds and getting support that, that seems to win oftentimes. And, and so that's a great frustration, but it even points to the fact of this very issue of favoritism that exists in the culture around us. And so we, we look and we see, we see special interests and lobbyists. We see this in our educational systems. You can see this clearly in educational systems that there are certain schools that have access to resources and access for their students on the basis of certain privilege, and it has to do with income tax of the people who live in a certain area and and along these different lines. I mean, these these things show up again and again, these lines, and and oftentimes if, if we fit somewhere comfortably in the group that that we have a little more privilege than those without, then we especially get uncomfortable when the conversation moves in this direction because we want to think that we don't show favoritism, that we don't, that we don't uh, fall into these traps. But the reality is, in most of our lives, most of the people in this, in, in this room now, in, in our lives, we could, we could look and we could probably find some areas where we tend to show favoritism along these lines of race, along these lines of income, along these lines of education. We see it in the culture around us. We see it in church. We see it in the church. We see it in terms of leadership in the church, that people who tend to uh, be more educated, people who tend to uh, do perform well in, in business, be successful in business, tend to get positions of leadership and influence in the life of the church. Those two seem to go hand in hand. We see it in the life of uh, the the church around us, right? Can I tell you, this is one of the reasons why uh, the the abuse of this, the abuse of of privilege and even uh, favoritism that that can so easily happen in, in the practice of pastoral ministry is why I intentionally don't know, and, and all of our staff, all of our pastors, we have no idea who gives what in the church. I, I couldn't tell you the last time that you gave or how much you give or anything of that nature because we don't want our ministry to this body to be influenced or shaped in any way on the basis of who gives what, that there might ever be some charge levied against us that, you know, well, you just you, you play favorites with these people and not with these others because of you know, uh, how much they give or this or that. I honestly don't know how much anyone gives, and I, and I won't ever know that because we want our ministry to be as pure and unencumbered by these things, and we're, we're just men, right? I mean, it, I think it would naturally influence me if I let it, so I do everything I can to shelter myself from that. It shows up in the church. It shows up in our individual lives. It shows up with everything from where you want to send your child to school to where you choose to live, right? Now, hear me. I'm not saying that it's sin to live in a nice house. I'm not saying it's sin to send your kids to a good school. I'm not saying that it's sin to do well and succeed in business and, 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 and to have money even. It itself is not outwardly sin. The point is that when we allow these things to influence our decisions of how we look at others, when we begin to elevate our own status in our own eyes and try to only run with people who we think fit in a certain social status where we belong on the basis of feeling like, well, I've arrived. I'm, I'm above others. I'm better than someone else. Now we fall trapped to this sin of partiality, this sin of favoritism, and, and we ought to 
be very conscious and aware of how that can take root in our hearts and even begin to shape the way that we see others. The clear call of Scripture that we'll study this morning and, and, and that I think this passage teaches us is that we are to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. And the Bible makes it clear that God didn't love us on the basis of what we have or what we don't have because in the eyes of God, we are all broken and, and, and what we have means nothing to him. There are no spiritual elite one percenters in the eyes of God that he looked down upon and said, well, this person really has it all and, and, and I, you know, I really need them on my team. God loved us while we were broken and in sin. And, and the ground is level. It's been said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's exactly the heart of what this passage teaches us and what I want us to understand this morning. So I want us to look at several different points here of what happens when we show favoritism, how that shapes us, how that influence us, influences us, and instead what our practices ought to look like in light of this teaching in this passage. And with each of these points this morning, I want to use scripture, other scriptures to back this up, to, to, to lend support to what I'm teaching. But this is all rooted in and grounded in James 2 that tells us in verse 1, show no partiality as you hold the faith. And in verse 9, it says plainly that if you show partiality, you are committing sin. The first point I want to make is this. When we show favoritism, we pay attention to outward appearances. Instead, God wants us to focus on the condition of our heart. When we show favoritism with others in our practices, both in our individual lives and the life of the church, what we tend to do is we pay attention to the outward appearances, right? Even in this passage, even the example that he gives, on the basis of, of their clothing, right? A man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So it's obvious that what was happening in the life of the church in James, what can happen in our lives is we can easily give attention to the outward appearances and neglect the matters that really matter, which are the matters of the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when David is being anointed king, the future king over Israel, this is what... This is what the word says uh, in, in that particular instance. The Lord says this to Samuel, and, and Samuel relates it to Jesse and his sons. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when God looks at us, God does not judge us on the basis of our outward appearances. Rather, he judges us on the condition of our heart. So we ought not to judge ourselves and look at others and, and, and draw these lines or show favoritism on the basis of outward appearances. Instead, we need to focus on, on the heart, on, not on what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. That's what matters, the scripture teaches us. Secondly, we see this, that when we show favoritism, we make judgments based on where a person is from. But instead, God wants us to follow where he leads us, where he's taking us, right? 
God isn't concerned about where you're from. His concern is with where he's taking you, where he's leading you, right? God doesn't judge you on the basis of your past. Instead, he wants to change your future reality. It's interesting in this passage, it tells us that when we, when we do this, when we show favoritism, it says, you have made distinctions among yourselves, verse 4, it says, and become judges with evil thoughts. We make judgment on the basis of things that don't matter, right? On the basis of things that, that, that shouldn't, be our, shouldn't, shouldn't be influencing us, outward appearances, things of that nature, when we should be focused on what's inward. We shouldn't make judgments on others based on where they're from, but on where God is leading them. You know, in the New Testament, we see an example in John chapter 1 where Nathan is, is trying to say to, rather where Philip is trying to say to Nathan, come and hear this message. Come hear this Jesus, this teaching that's unlike anything I've ever heard. And in John chapter 1 verse 46, Nathaniel says to Philip, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's making a judgment against Jesus based on where Jesus was from. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Even in the life of Jesus, others judged Jesus based on where he was from, based on his, on his past. And instead, God focuses not on where we're from, but on where we're going, where he's leading us. Jesus said to his disciples, as he called them, follow me, right? The, the, the goal of the Christian, the goal of the believer is to follow after Christ, not to be focused on where we've been and what we've done in the past, Instead, to surrender all that to him, to, to literally to leave it at the foot of the cross and to focus on where God is leading us. And as believers in Christ, we ought, to, we ought to do the same for one another. We ought not to judge others on their status, rather on their sanctification, right? Because God's concerned when he looks on your life, God is not concerned on your, with your social status. God doesn't care whether you're popular or not. The goal of the goal of believing in Christ is not to elevate your social status. Instead, he's concerned with your sanctification, with your personal holiness. And so as Christians, we ought to concern ourselves with the same things. When we show favoritism, we make judgments based on a person, where a person is from. Third, we see this, that when we show favoritism, we make idols out of what we have. But instead, God wants, to, wants us to destroy our idols. We tend to... We tend to make idols out of what we have and, and the haves and the have-nots. But instead, God, God's concern is not on what you have, but on what he has to give you, right? God's concern is not with what you have, because the scripture is clear. He's got the, the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills too. God has everything he needs. He doesn't need what you have. It doesn't matter, literally, in his eyes. Instead, what matters to him is what he has that he wants to give to you. And so we ought not to focus on what others have, but on, rather on destroying the, the idolatry of our hearts. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Listen, God has everything that you need to enjoy. He doesn't need what's in your bank account. He doesn't need your money. 
In fact, I heard it this way this week, and this is so good. And, and, and this isn't even necessarily, not necessarily a passage on, on, on giving, but, but, man, this is such a central, important truth that, I, that is woven into this idea of favoritism, that we ought to faithfully give every one of us out of the, out of the, the joy, the worship of our hearts to God, because our, our hope is not in our money. Our hope is not in our things. Our hope is, on, is in Christ, who, Paul writes in, to Timothy, has everything that we need Everything to give us to, to enjoy, richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I heard it said this week that God doesn't want us to give because he wants the money out of our wallets. Instead, God wants us to give because he wants the idols out of our hearts. And that is so true. God doesn't want us to give because he needs the money in our wallets. He wants us to give because he wants the idols out of our hearts. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. And so we ought not to focus on our money, on our wealth, on our things, but instead on God. When we show favoritism, we make idols out of what we have, playing this game, the, the, the age-old game of the haves and the have-nots. Instead, we ought to focus on destroying our idols. Fourth, we see this, that when we show favoritism, we honor the flesh, but instead God wants us to honor him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The flesh is of the world. And when we, tend to sh- when we show favoritism toward others, we honor the flesh. We honor what we see, what they have, those fleshly things. But instead, our call is to honor God, not the flesh. Because the flesh is of this world. Instead, we're to focus on the things of Christ. Favoritism causes us to honor the flesh. And then fifth, we see this, that when we show favoritism, we deny the practice of Jesus who humbled himself by laying aside his rights. Instead, God wants us to follow Jesus' example in the way that we love others. See, when we, when we show favoritism, what we tend to do is We deny the very practice of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear to us that Jesus humbled himself. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we see that we should have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The very incarnation of Christ, the fact that Christ came into this world, that he humbled himself, is proof that God loved us beyond anything else in this life. And he didn't look down at us and make judgments based on where we're from. He didn't judge us based on our past. Instead, he wanted to change our future. That God doesn't look at what you have and what you don't have. Instead, he wants to destroy those those idols that we tend to focus on and give us a new reality. And when we show favoritism, we deny the very practice of Jesus who humbled himself in loving us by putting our greatest need first. What was that greatest need? Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he became obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. So Jesus himself gives us this example that we should love others humbly, 
sacrificially, even at our own expense, that we should love others, not considering our own rights, not considering what we have or what we deserve, but rather looking at what is the greatest need that someone else has. How can I meet this need? How can I minister to this need on the basis of what God has given to me already? That's the example of Jesus that we're to follow. And when we show favoritism, we deny the very practice of Christ. And so we ought not to show favoritism along these lines. Again, favoritism is sin. It says plainly. And the call for us is to to put away these practices, to deny the flesh, to deny these desires that that would have us give more attention to some rather than others on the basis of their appearance or on the basis of what they have or don't have. Instead, we are called to love others the way Christ loved us. How did Jesus love us? He emptied himself of his rights. He took our sin and our shame on his own shoulders. He willingly endured that punishment so that you and I might be forgiven. That is the example that we're to follow. Not what the world around us shows. Not what what we see in in the practice of, of, you know, certain uh, celebrity preachers or other things that have all, you know, they, they have all of it together, all the outward appearances, all the things that the world would say, this is what you need. Instead, we're to live a humble life and to use what God has given us that we might be a blessing to others around us. Now, the way that this works itself out in each one of our individual lives is going to be different, right? Because all of us are different to some degree. What you have, what you don't have, what God has blessed you with is going to be different from the folks that are seated to either side of you, the folks in front of you or or, or behind you. Every one of us individually need to consider, okay, God, how how do we need to put this into practice? How, How am I? my wife and I, my husband and I, our family, how are we to live this out in our lives in such a way that we, we love everyone with the same kind of humble, giving, sacrificial love that you've shown to us? The ground is level at the cross, and we ought to love one another the way that Christ has loved us first. Maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing this. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus. This morning, I hope that you hear these words. I hope that you hear me talking about everything that Jesus has done for you and that it, it, it challenges you to, to question, have I, ever really, have I ever really surrendered myself? He's talking about how God wants to change my future. He doesn't just focus on my past, but he wants to change my future. Have I ever really considered what it means for Christ to change the direction of my future? I pray that if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, that today would be the day that you would understand that God isn't focused on what you've done in the past or what you have or what you don't have. No one buys their way into the kingdom of God. Instead, when we come humbly before him and lay it all down, then we receive the love of Christ. Then God begins to transform us and change us. And today, if you've never given your life to Christ, I pray that today would be the day. In our, in our time of invitation in a few moments, there's going to be the opportunity for you to come forward and, and pray with one of our staff just to surrender your life to Christ. To allow him to change the future direction of your life. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you hear this, and it's convicting because the truth of the matter is, when you look at your life, you think, I, I do make judgments on the basis of what I see. It's natural to, right? I mean, it is. Let's be honest. It is natural to make judgments on what someone has or what they don't have on the, on the basis of outward appearances. This morning, if God is convicting you of that, I pray that you would be moved to the point of action, right? That you would have faith that works, that you would willingly surrender those, those ideas, those, those biases, if you will, those stereotypes even, that, that color the way that you see and instead that you would purpose to love everyone with the same love that Jesus has shown you. That we might love other people the way that Christ has first loved us. Because the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart this morning. What does God see when he looks at your heart? Before our time of invitation, I, I want to read again to you from 1 John chapter 3. Now, I read this earlier in our service this morning, but I want this verse to set the stage for our time of response because in a moment after a, a time of prayer, we're going to have a moment of invitation. Our altars will be open for those that wish to come and pray. Our staff will be here at the front ready to receive those who are, who are ready to make a decision for Christ today. And as we do that, as we sing that song even today, I want this passage of Scripture that we've read to be the, the, the impetus for our action, if I can say it that way, that, that this would be the foundation for our response this morning. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in, not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Today, may we love others the way that Christ has loved us in deed and in truth. Would you pray with me? God, I, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to action today as we hear this truth. That we would not make judgments on the basis of the outward appearance, but rather, Lord, that we would look at the heart and that it would begin by looking inwardly first at our own hearts. Lord, as we look inward, as we examine our hearts, convict us of our sin. If we're guilty of showing favoritism, Lord, bring conviction on us that we might surrender those, those biases, those, those, uh, those cultural notions that we may have even that would tell us that someone's worth is wrapped up in, in their appearance or what they have or where they live or where, how much education they have or how much they earn or any of those things that we tend to focus on. And instead, God, help us to see people the way that you see them, broken and in need of redemption. May that begin with ourselves first, seeing our own need of redemption, surrendering our lives to you, that we might receive the grace of Christ and then turn that outward to love others with that same grace that's given to us. Lord, move us now as we respond to your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we stand to sing together now,